Welcome to Intersect, where church meets culture. I'm Josh Desch, lead pastor at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. And I am joined, as always, by my wife, the bodacious Betsy. <laughs> hey, everybody. Betsy, are you feeling bodacious today? Absolutely. Always. That word took me back to kind of the early 90s. Yeah. And it actually took me back to like Teenage nin- Mutant Ninja Turtle days. I love it. Bodacious was one of those words that they were, the, the turtles threw out their turtle power, baby. Totally. All right. I am so excited about our guest today. A friend of mine, new friend of mine. I'm very excited to have him on the podcast. His name is Pastor Stephen Splon. Pastor Stephen, thank you for joining us. Mm, thank you, Pastor Desh. It's an honor. And Betsy, thank you. Mm. Well, Bodacious Betsy. Yes. Bodacious Betsy. So. Thank you. Well, we've got uh, a very pressing, important topic for the family of God to talk about today. And here is the title for today's episode, everybody. Barriers and Bridges to Racial Unity Among Christians. Barriers and Bridges to Racial Unity Among Christians. Uh, Clearly, we are living in a time where we have to be aware of these issues as believers. Mm -hmm. And as we get into this episode more, uh, those of you in our audience are going to hear about how God has knit together and is knitting together a beautiful partnership between our church Northeast Presbyterian Church, and First Northeast Baptist uh, here in the city of Columbia. So uh, if we can start with this, Pastor Stephen, and and you're my friend, you're my brother, but I'm going to call you Pastor Stephen because (laughs) I want our audience to to remember you are a pastor, you're a man of the word, Mm. man of the cloth here. So Pastor Stephen, tell us who you are and a little bit about your spiritual journey and then if you could also then bridge that into how God called you uh, to be the uh, now lead pastor, senior pastor at First Northeast Baptist Church. Mm. Well, uh, I'm not going to do all of that justice. I'm going to keep it as brief as possible. So uh, in the words of Peter, he called me out of darkness and there's marvelous light. Mm. Um, at a relatively young age and then at age 13, um, was called to teach vacation Bible schools through an organization called Child Evangelism Fellowship. Mm-hmm. Went to a training weekend and heard a young man preach by the name of West Church, who is now the uh, mm-hmm. senior pastor at First Baptist Columbia. Dear personal, longtime yeah. friend, don't ask any youth stories about me with him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he preached a message about being called to the work. I had my, you know, crying tears and realized, okay, at age 13, maybe God might be calling me to do something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I served at CEF for a few summers, went off to college, and at uh, my senior year, met my amazing wife, um, who we've been married for 14 years now. And uh, after that first or second year of our marriage, I realized I am not perfect. Uh, and, <laughs> That'll do it. Marriage will do uh, it. <laughs> and that I, I realized that I wanted her to have the perfect guy, and I just couldn't do this on my own. And so uh, I began to seek the Lord, and I began to read His Word, and it just captivated me. And uh, my grandfather was a pastor. My dad still is a pastor, Mount Sinai Baptist in Spartanburg. Mm. And uh, but I thought, uh, no, I don't need to do this. You know, <laughs> I was in the corporate world. I was a marketplace missionary, if you will, right? Mm. Um, but God just put a fire inside of me, not only get to draw closer to Him, but to do the work He called me to. Um, and so then I 
uh, went and became a discipleship pastor at a church uh, in Rock Hill, and uh, then got called to come to the South Carolina Baptist Convention uh, about four years ago. Was there serving 2,125 churches, teaching relational discipleship, uh, how to make disciples uh, in a relational environment through the word, how did Jesus do it? And in doing so, I was uh, supporting First Northeast Baptist Church and just teaching and training and development. And um, the Lord made it plain. He wanted me to stay. And that's how I came to First Northeast Baptist Church. Wow. Mm. Beautiful story. I love the, the breadth of experience that you have in different settings, uh, you know, including statewide. Mm. And, and kind of a neat thing in God's providence is that the founding pastor of our church, Dr. George Crow, retired in the month of May of this year. And then the very long-standing pastor at First Northeast Baptist, Pastor Stephen Masolowa, mm-hmm. am I right that he retired in June? It's correct. So incredible. that is It's just amazing. Only God can work those things out, mm-hmm. that these two longtime pastors uh, both retire within a month of each other. And I became the senior pastor at, at here at NEPC in the month of May, and then, uh, brother, you were just right on my heels here. <laughs> so just, just so cool that the Lord has done this. And uh, before we jump into the topic, I want to share a little bit about the partnership that our two churches have. And it started with a good news club at a local elementary school. And just a reminder, folks, to, to dream big. I know especially in this secular environment that we're in, a lot of people might think, well, there's no way to share Jesus in a public school environment. Well, some people that had a fire to do that mm. went to a local elementary school. Uh, they, they did get approval to do this club, and it is a, it's a blessing to the parents because it provides a, an after-school activity for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And uh, through uh, our, the two pastors, Pastor Crow and Pastor Masalawa, coming together, a, a really a beautiful partnership was formed between our two churches, which has now grown Mm. to include things like men's conference and women's conference and other things going on. And I just know for me, having been at my church now about three and a half years, uh, I love this partnership. Mm. And it's been one of the most encouraging things that I've seen here in ministry. And then, uh, you know, of course, we think back to earlier this year and these horrible instances of racial injustice Mm. and racism that we saw. Betsy, we were in Garden City. Mm -hmm. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. We were on vacation at Garden City uh, at the beach when uh, the George Floyd murder happened. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I mean, all of a sudden, the whole world was watching. Mm -hmm. And and we find ourselves in this situation in our country where uh, we still have a long ways to go in terms of living out uh, even what our Constitution says, let alone the standard that the Bible calls us to, mm-hmm. which, of course, is a much higher standard. So, Pastor Stephen, let's jump into this topic. Mm-hmm. And we, we want to approach this two ways. One is, um, what are barriers that, that you see uh, and that you face to racial unity among black and white Christians. And then let's go from there to the to what might be bridges, things that can help us uh, become more one, as Jesus told us to be in John 17, may they be one as we are one. Mm. 
So, um, brother, why don't you uh, take it from here? Well, um, I think that's a a very large, expansive answer. And so I want to speak um, for myself. I can't speak on behalf of a whole culture of people, right? There are different um, levels and areas and perspectives and experiences. But I'm going to share with you maybe some pieces historically that has more or less led to where we are today culturally, but we'll explain some of the responses that you see most often in our culture to mm-hmm. this topic, which mm-hmm. which renders such great hostility. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I don't like using the term both sides because really, uh, let's stop making sides and talk about the entree, right? So mm-hmm. uh, the reality comes to what what are you going to do? And it has become more individual and not this othering type of situation where we think, oh, if so-and-so or this group or these, this area of people do this, then this can happen. It, it becomes personal. It becomes individuals because the collective of our nation is really um, driven by individuals of the collective whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, just 15 years ago, right? Just, just go back 15 years. Let's just make it bigger. Let's just say 20 years ago, okay? 20 years ago. You could have a dog outside on a leash or a chain pinned to a spike in your backyard. Hmm. It was not only completely legal, it was regular and normal. Mm-hmm. You'd have them in their fence and you could have a dog house outside. Like you literally could build it or buy it. It mm-hmm. was totally okay. Mm-hmm. You, could, you could let your dog go if you wanted to, right? And very few dogs were inside. It was not regular to see a dog in an airplane or in an airport, right? And now today, you have laws, you have regulations, you have very serious stipulations and punishments for the treatment of an animal. You have stores that are centered around the care and needs for each specific breed of dog in the species. You've got specific catering needs to grooming and care and medications, surgeons. You've got careers built around the care, the needs specifically for a dog. Now, I'm not trying to come down on dog lovers right now. Please understand. I'm just saying 20 years ago, that would have been laughable almost. But today, because of certain individuals who were passionate about what they saw, they were willing to push the envelope and to petition and stand up for what they saw as wrong for this species. Mm-hmm. The difficult part for me as a man of color is for anyone who's a fellow human being just like I am, because you could transplant an organ to me and me to you, If I donate blood, it's likely that you could get it, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're literally imago Dei, if we're believers, Mm -hmm. made in the image of God together. A four-legged animal is not, but we are. And yet, Mm -hmm. there's somehow a problem when we say, I matter. Mm -hmm. And that there are systematic things that are geared towards oppressing, harming, holding back not only me, but my children. Mm -hmm. And it's never been fully addressed, but we'll do it for a whole other species. 
can you see the weight of that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so as a person of color, when we see someone who will allow an animal to eat off their plate or drink out their cup or live in their home or ride in their car or fly with them somewhere, and yet they won't even smile or say hello to another human being, it makes you wonder what Bible could they possibly be reading? Because when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he was not talking about animals. I don't see Jesus walking puppies, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying don't mm-hmm. love dogs. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Let's not yep. puff this up on the podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I am saying he was specific. And the Gospel of Luke was written by a Gentile, a non-Jewish mm. person. Mm-hmm. And this person came to faith in Christ and walked with Paul, was not even there seeing the things Jesus did, but he investigated thoroughly and the Lord used him to write a gospel. A Gentile. And he then he wrote the Acts of the Apostles too. So clearly God values others mm. and difference. Yeah. You see Rahab, <laughs> She's in the ancestral line of the Messiah. She wasn't a Jew to start. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow we think today that if a couple is interracially married, that it's got to be abhorred, that it's evil or wicked. Are you kidding me? Read the Bible. Hmm. Do you remember Miriam, Moses' sister? Mm -hmm. She had a problem with Moses marrying an Ethiopian. She caught leprosy and changed her mind. (laughs) (laughs) Again, read the Bible. It just takes a little bit of focus. And this isn't me inputting or eisegeting what's there. No, it's exposing what's really there and what the message of God is in a narrative text. You can look at the genre all you want. You can look at the Hebrew all you want. Pull your lexicon, your concordances. All of it will agree. God is not cool with you and your preferences over his purposes. And so we have to be very careful when we as individuals will allow barriers in our mind and our prejudices to roll over that we were taught. Because the reality is a lot of people have been culturally conditioned to accept wrong things. Mm -hmm. It's in the fabric of our nation. Think about it. You can answer if you'd like, but it's okay. If you go to a dentist and the dentist is not a person of color, you would just say, I have such and such dentist. His or her name is this. Mm-hmm. But if the dentist is a person of color, you might tell a friend, oh, I have a black dentist. Mm-hmm. That's wrong categorization because you've already put the person in the category of their race before you put them into their profession or even their gender. <laughs> right? Yeah. Think about how wrong that is. Think about when someone talks about me, though. They might just say, oh, that's a good black preacher. You didn't really compliment me. You categorized me. Mm-hmm. And you may have limited your idea or what someone else may be able to receive from the fact that you met me. Mm-hmm. Again, just the little things that we do culturally that are just wrong. And I'm not saying be politically correct about everything. Some stuff's just like, oh, I know you need to say that. But there are many places where just the normal day walk of life that we've Conditioned to be okay, massaged in are results of historical things that were problems, Mm. right? Things that were said, compromise has cost us. Pastor, it sounds like I'm hearing, you know, that some of these barriers are clear to us and, and we choose to put them up, but there are other barriers that we don't even see 
like for example, that the 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 use of a description of a person, there are barriers that we don't even reflect on uh, because for for whatever reason we have accepted them culturally. We have been you know it it's amazing how much stuff. Uh, seeps into our minds without even being directly, because no one ever said to me, you know, refer to a, a professional, uh, you know, racially first before there, but yet you just find yourself adopting it. Um, yeah. And I think something that needs to be addressed within the person is complete and utter acceptance that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who are fighting are fighting to be right. They're not fighting to be light. Mm. And we're called in Matthew 5, 13 and 14 to be salt and light, Mm. not to be right. Jesus makes us right. But the proof of that is how we respond in repentance. Take a prime example. When you look at Luke 3, when John the Baptist is on the scene He's coming in, he's proclaiming the word, he's starting to baptize people. Tax collectors come to him in recognition of there's a problem. And they say, what must we do? Right? What must we do? And he gives them clear instructions. You know what they don't do? They don't respond and go, oh, that's too much, John the Baptist. (laughs) They don't go back, you don't know what you're talking about, John the Baptist. You've been in the wilderness too long. (laughs) You know, it's... They understand there's a problem in me. Mm-hmm. Tell me what that problem is so we can respond rightly. Right? And even the soldiers, they come too and they say, What must we do? And he gave them clear instructions on what they should do. They didn't balk back at him, they simply accepted it. The problem is the father of all sin, other than, you know, not just saying Satan, I'm talking about pride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. Pride has made people decide that you can't tell me anything. I see it all. Well, mm-hmm. if what you see is all you see, then you have no chance of seeing what needs to be seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the problem becomes that there are people who, when they're told there's a problem or something's wrong, they've decided already. Whatever comes out your mouth is your agenda and you don't know, you don't understand. Let me help with a barrier. Here's a clear one. As a person of color, I have to know Anglo-American culture. I have to. It's a standard. It's a survival basic. I have to know how you talk. I got to know what language you use. I got to know what stores you shop at and and what your symbols mean and your your jargon, your lingo, right? Your preferences, right? I got to know all the things about you because in order for me to get into society, to work inside of a system not created by me, but literally created against me, I got to know you to move inside that system. I've got to start enjoying what you enjoy. I have to listen to what you listen to. I got to eat what you eat. I got to be a part of your culture and know it well. But on the other hand, you, you can choose to know my culture or not. Mm-hmm. You realize you could be a doctor, a senator, a mayor, a president. You could be a lawyer and never have a leader in your life who taught you anything that was a person of color. Mm-hmm. You could live your whole life and have never been in subjugation to a person of color to lead you or teach you anything. So guess what your psyche has decided? 
anyone that can teach me something must be of this race. That's a huge barrier. Yeah. And the worst part is, is that race isn't even real. Yeah. Race is not biblical. You have newer translations of the Bible that has inserted race in place of tribes, people, or culture groups, which is wrong. I'm not playing with those translations. I, I speak from them sometimes, but that mm -hmm. error was wrong. Because mm. race is not in Revelation 7. Race is not anywhere else in the Old Testament. There's not a word for it in Hebrew because <laughs> it mm. didn't exist. It's a, it was a construct to create levels and separation. Mm. And what are the two opposing ends of the color spectrum? Black and white. If, if we would even say that there is such a thing as race, we would say there's the human race. Bingo. Um, that, would be the, that would be the only biblical way to use that terminology. Absolutely. And if you, if you look in the scriptures and if you read about American history in particular, you can see how, um, how these words have been. It's, it's been interesting for me to read how, for example, when Italians first came to America, they were not considered white. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. then as mm -hmm. American history shifts and as this group now finds itself in the mainstream, they now adopt more of a white identity. The, the point is you can see how the term race is truly a cultural construct. And then and you look in the Bible and you say, well, it's, it's not present there. Absolutely. The Bible is constantly emphasizing that we are made in the Imago Dei, we are image bearers, we all uh, have dignity and are deserving of love and dignity from one another. Mm. And what is just hitting me so much is how much these barriers, at the end of the day, it is the disease of our hearts. Mm. It is the sin that resides in our hearts that if, you know, I have to, at the end of the day, am I going to face it or not? That's mm. right. Because that's where it lives. Yeah, um... Pastor Stephen, as I was preparing for um, the episode today, I'm just praying over where the Lord would lead the discussion. One thing that really um, struck me was Satan just loves to keep things in the dark, you know, mm. down in the basement. Like, think of, I grew up with basements. I grew up in Illinois. My parents' basement was nasty. It was unfinished. <laughs> um, it, it was just gross. So you walk down there, you weren't sure what you were going to see, you know, like something with more legs than you had ever seen before. And like, we would shriek and run upstairs. Uh, so point being, if your basement isn't finished, it's, it's usually kind of gross. Um and, and, and what struck me was just that um, Josh mentioned this in a sermon over the summer that racism, it, it's a sin that lives in the basement, in the dark. Mm. And that's where it festers and it grows. It's almost like when you turn a rock over and there's all the nasty stuff mm. on the bottom, you know. Mm. Um, mm. And what, you know, we know the Holy Spirit is the spotlight, the searchlight that mm. searches out the dark things. And so what we need as believers is to shine, to, to say, Holy Spirit, shine that searchlight into the corners of my heart and, mm. and uproot those nasty things that are growing there. And in order to do that, we have to be humble. Mm. You know, we have, as you said, the, the root of so much of this is pride, is just thinking that I see things the right way, and that is so wrong, and it's so antithetical to the gospel. Mm. So that's where we have to start, is saying, you know, holding things with open hands and saying, Lord, teach me, help me to see where I need to repent. And, uh, that's absolutely true, um, Sister Betsy, and I, uh, I appreciate your words. Um, 
it also would bode to say, with that, the humility would include the request to a brother or sister in the faith who is directly impacted mm. by that which you are having exposed in your life. Yes. But that only happens in a relationship built on integrity and trust. Mm. And so what is needed is not just, hey, let's have a conference where someone talks at us, but let's have a meal where someone converses with us. Mm. And then once you come to know individuals and you get to hear a story or you connect with people on a personal level, the next thing that happens is all of a sudden those things that you had predisposed in your mind about a whole group of people, Mm. they begin to dissolve. And you have to then admit, because any equation if you're an algebra, right? Any X equation, mm-hmm. if X works here, it has to work whatever X is. That's right. But if you get one thing that doesn't work in that equation, then that equation's wrong. Mm-hmm. You can't fit me in that equation. Paradigm shift. And, and my heart wants me to have that, you know, my sinful heart wants me to keep operating from these pre notions, right, and these prejudices, because there's something about the uh, comfortableness or the fact that the basement's always been dark. That's what we're used to. Mm-hmm. And you, when, you, when the light comes in, but when the Holy Spirit comes in, the sin cannot remain, when it's mm-hmm. truly of the Spirit. Uh, and we say, Lord, I'm going to show you my heart, and I'm ready for you to come in and do this new work. The, the sin cannot remain. Mm-hmm. We have a friend, actually, who goes to First Northeast Baptist, um, our friend Alvin. Yeah. Um, we had several conversations with him this summer um, following um, George Floyd's murder. And one thing that he said, which I just loved, he said, we got to get uncomfortable to get comfortable. And it's so true because we do have to move outside of you know, where we have been comfortable maybe and move into other people's lives and hear stories. And from there, we can develop the new comfort of of being united and being together. That's absolutely the case. Um, T.S. Eliot said it too. He said, when you're really sick, when the virus sets in, got to get worse before you can get better. Mm-hmm. And And for us we really have to step into uncomfortable, awkward conversations in order to expose the darkness in the basement. And again, it would be easy if we just let ourselves keep that door closed, put a lock on it, never talk about it. That's easy to keep business as usual. Mm -hmm. But people are dying each and every day, and there are people who won't even receive the word of the gospel right now because we want to address this issue as the church. We'll be quick to make something political, but we won't make it practical. And that's a problem. Um, And I know that we want to get to the bridge part of this, because barrier could take your whole life, but we're bridge builders, right? And And the goal is not just to end racism. The goal is to lead someone to Jesus. So how do we bridge the gap that is there because of the barriers built up, um, the walls formed that Ephesians 2 says should have been knocked down by God already, which he did. He tore down the wall of separation, Mm -hmm. but it's us who keep trying to build it back up. 
And so uh, bar- barriers, um, God's got that. We just have to trust him and be obedient with those responses. If I can step into some bridges, mm-hmm. I think that'll be helpful with moving forward too. I think the best thing that's going to help bridge, and we talked a little bit about individual responses and making it individual before we make it collective, is intentional relational environments. Mm. So being in a place where you're with someone, a neighbor, a friend, but don't use that time to justify your feelings. Uh, as, as a pastor, we, we probably don't say the, the four-letter word, shut, and the and the two-letter word, up, together at the same time. <laughs> but can I, can I use those two oh, words no, together okay. for this? this podcast. Preach it's okay. okay. So sometimes we just need to shut up mm. and listen. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because pride will tell you, I can explain this away right now. I can mm-hmm. justify what has happened. Let me tell you about, okay, stop. Mm-hmm. Shut up <laughs> and listen. Because the best thing that someone who is a part of the system and who endorses the system, if they can just say, okay, look, I recognize there's a problem. Tell me about it. Um, do it with someone on equal footing. Bridges can't be built when you're on a whole nother level from someone else. Mm. So employers out there, don't go to your employee at work and say, tell me what I should do to be to like black people better. Wrong. Mm. <laughs> That's your employee. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they're going to be less likely to tell you the whole truth because they have a job and they want to yeah. keep it. <laughs> yeah. Find someone who's a peer, who you have a relationship that is based on mutual uh, and equal footing so that you can have a conversation that when they tell you the truth and you don't like it because sometimes the truth hurts, most of the time the truth hurts, but the reality comes to there will be some things that will offend you that will be said that you need to be able to receive and they can walk away not losing anything. Hmm. That is hard. That is hard. Yeah. A prime example, something that I do, um, try to do regularly with my better half, uh, Betsy, Lord willing, you get to meet Jessica. Mm-hmm. She's she's way better than I am. <laughs> uh, I had a very close friend of mine. He's a pastor also. And he challenged me. I think I'm going to share this with you, Pastor Dish. He said, ask your wife, do I love you well? Mm-hmm. Like, sit down, shut up, <laughs> and listen. And ask her, mm-hmm. do I love you well? And that's hard, mm-hmm. especially as a husband, <laughs> Right? To hear and let her tell you the whole truth, right? Mm. If we as believers were to sit down with someone across the table different than us and say, am I offensive to you? Do I love you well? Mm. Have I in any way been a part of endorsing the compromise, the complacency, endorsing a system that is against you? Have I done that? Because let me say this to you, the murderer of George Floyd and the men that endorsed and supported him, they felt justified because over and over and over again have we seen bodies of black men and women and everyone been okay. Mm. It's almost like people have become numb. You can see a, a body of a brown person, but the moment that you see someone who's not brown even getting threatened, everybody's up in arms. Mm. If Do you remember the... Central Park situation. Mm-hmm. At yeah, what I, point? I know what example at what point yep. did the media get involved when she began to hurt the 
dog. Mm. She began mm. to squeeze and push him down. And she was yelling out, this black man, he's threatening me. And then she hurts the dog and says, he's, he's hurting my dog. Then the, the caller goes, wee, 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 wee. Right? Mm. And the mm. people start sending the video out because she's hurting a dog. Mm. And, and what blew my mind was that people were responding more to the fact that she hurt the dog than she was lying on a black man and trying to get him killed. Mm. Because she knew that there's a system out there against him and she's threatening him with the system. Mm. And if people don't wake up to what she just did and go, oh, that's in my heart too. Because I've accepted her to do that. You realize you're sitting here with me and you feel safe and you feel comfortable. I'm a 250-pound brown man with dreadlocks. <laughs> Most people not just saying hello and smiling. But they believe that they live in a system where if they just make a phone call or if they say a word, it doesn't matter that I'm a Jesus follower. I'm guilty. And I could be shot and killed in a moment because people aren't willing to say there's a problem. Mm. So my question becomes, the bridge is going to be built on the backs of people being intentional. The bridge is one life at a time, just like pets 20 years ago, one person at a time standing up and speaking. This is a 400-year-old problem. Mm -hmm. We might not end it in four hours. <laughs> yeah. But if we don't start somewhere, we'll stay here. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. And uh, if you want to, uh, and, and I think in so many ways you have already done this for us, but if you want to articulate as we close this episode... Uh, what your prayer for this upcoming year uh, might be when it comes to uh, racial unity in the church. And it, again, in so many ways, you have already uh, really painted that picture for us. But, but putting it in the, in the form of a prayer, I wasn't sure if you would mm. just have a way you'd like to articulate that for our audience. My prayer would be this, that we be one family, of Jesus followers who bear spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control, so on and so forth. One family of Jesus followers who bear spiritual fruit so that all people will come to know Christ. If we just start there with us working towards unity, Stop trying to keep dividing, but start listening, loving, learning. And then we can lead others in that direction. But we've, God can do anything. Amen. Amen. For nothing is impossible with God. Amen. And if I thought that it wasn't possible, I would have given this up already. Mm -hmm. Amen. We serve a mighty God, a God who could even defeat death mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and no, no barrier is too great for our God. Mm -hmm. Pastor, thank you so much for this time today. And I think this is certainly an episode that, that we're going to want to go back to and listen to multiple times mm -hmm. because right. you've given us so much to think about. 
Um, Betsy, would you like to let the audience know where they can find us online? Uh, yeah, if y'all want to join us on Facebook, we would love to see you there. Our Facebook page is called Intersect Podcast. Um, also, we do have a website, um, www.anyprez.com slash podcasts. And if you have uh, any reflections on what Pastor Stephen has shared with us today, any feedback, we would love to hear your thoughts. Send us an email. It's intersect at anyprez.com. Thanks again for listening, and if you're looking for a fabulous church in Northeast Columbia, uh, we cannot commend highly enough First Northeast Baptist. And Pastor, can you tell the audience, um, are you on Twitter? Are you on social media at all? Is there a way for, for uh, audience listeners to follow you? Yeah, we, are, we are on Facebook, um, so First Northeast Baptist. Uh, our website is our initials, fnebc.org. And, uh, but let me tell you, Northeast Press is a phenomenal gathering, too. And let me tell you, listeners, it's a good pastor right here. <laughs> well, thank you, brother. And I'm looking forward to years of, uh, a, of a deepening friendship between us and from our churches. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And we will see you next time. God bless. <laughs>